Hey everyone, a few weeks ago, the National Institutes of Health announced they awarded nine large research grants, meaning $100 million large, under a program called the Autism Centers for Excellence, or ACE. The overarching goal of these programs is to develop interventions for autism and understand autism better. The ACE program was created in 2007 from consolidation of previous programs, some of you remember as the START grants. Every one of these grants needed to have an intervention component so that there was a link from basic science all the way to interventions. Not all of them have basic science though, and I'll get into the specifics in a minute. Five NIH institutes, including the National Institute of Child Health Development, the National Institutes of Mental Health, the National Institutes of Deafness and Other Communication Disorders, the National Institutes of Environmental Health Sciences, and the National Institutes of Neurological Disorders and Strokes participated in this. The reason these projects are possible is because of the CARES Act, which makes sure $500 million is spent in autism research over the next five years. These grants haven't started from scratch. They support innovative multidisciplinary research that promises to yield interventions and services for people with autism. There were two types of grants funded. One was a center type grant, which is focused at one research institution that's like a deep dive, if I was to seal a term from Spectrum News, on a specific issue. And the other type is called a network, which builds collaboration across multiple research sites to answer a question where a large number of people are required to address the issue. Also, these grants capitalize on multiple experts across multiple research institutions that really add to the value of the project. It's up to the researchers themselves whether to go for a center grant or a network grant. There were many, many applications submitted, but in the end, the NIH, due to, of course, funding restrictions, could only fund nine of them. But nine is no small number. Remember, they amount to $100 million over the next five years. These are big time. NIH is the largest funder of autism research, and this is a huge chunk of their investment. So I thought it was important to explain what they were and what they were going to do for families affected with autism. So here goes. I'm not organizing them by how important I think they are or alphabetically, but I'm trying to categorize them based on what they're doing, if that makes any sense. I don't want you guys to think that one is going to be more valuable than the other. They're all great. So here goes. First, I want to talk about three that focus on the very early signs and symptoms of autism, even before behavioral symptoms emerge. These grants use the baby siblings research design, where siblings of an individual with autism who have a 20 times greater chance of getting an autism diagnosis, in fact, are able to be studied from as early as before birth. All of these projects don't do the same things, nor are they answering the same question, but they're all using the same research design because they want to understand the very basic biological underpinnings of autism and how that trajectory can be changed. This goes to show how important the infant sibling design is to understanding ASD. For a few months now, you've been hearing stories about how there are differences in the brains of infants with autism as young as six months of age. That's way too early to make a diagnosis. However, a collaboration called the Infant Brain Imaging Study, or IBIS, is showing changes like the size of different regions in the brain, increased cerebral spinal fluid in the brain, and changes in connectivity across different parts of the brain, which is linked to behaviors like repetitive behaviors and sensory issues. These biological differences are seen as early as six months. However, the diagnosis is not made, and some of these behavioral features don't emerge until two years of age. It's been groundbreaking. 
It may revolutionize the way autism is diagnosed, and it certainly has given researchers a new understanding of how autism unfolds across time. Previously, this IBIS study was only tracking these kids to about two years of age. Well, five years ago, they were two years of age, but now they're getting older. They're seven to 10 years of age, and the families are still very interested in participating. So this funding is going to allow this group to continue working with these families until seven to 10 years of age. So what do their brains look like at school age? What about their symptoms? Is there a link? And is there a way to turn what a brain looks like at six months to predict how that person will be functioning at seven years? Remember, these kids had early intervention opportunities, so that can also be incorporated into the analysis. But even more important, it can see what is going on in their brains at seven years, which can then be turned into specialized interventions for that age group. Knowledge about the brain's involvement in the core social centers of the brain has informed early intervention research. But the brains of people with autism change over time, and clinicians know that interventions at two years are not the same as interventions at seven to 10 years. So now they're taking this opportunity to use brain-based and biological findings to inform intervention. Another infant sibling's design will also look at the brain activity of infants with autism. At Yale University, researchers will be teaming up in a center grant to combine stem cell research with intervention research. They'll use stem cells to study neural growth and gene expression in children with autism, and at the same time use state-of-the-art brain imaging strategies to look at how the brains are wired at birth and in infancy to examine how these early markers can be seen. Of course, what I really like this is because they're using this design, they can collect information on both boys and girls early in life to see how early the differences in brain development are. This research group is particularly poised to focus on a particular aspect of autism called social attention. That is, how well do people with autism focus on social stimuli in their environment? They're going to develop and test an intervention in infants targeted at social intervention, which will improve early intervention options. There is another sex differences study, which I'll get to. But before I do that, I want to mention, last but not least, the final study, which is using the infant siblings design. This one is at Emory University, home of the famous Marcus Autism Center, which helps people in the Atlanta community access care across different racial and ethnic lines. It's an amazing resource for families in the Atlanta area, and I know many families travel to Atlanta to receive their care. It's another center grant, and like Yale, they'll be looking at a model system, not stem cells, but monkeys. There's a famous monkey research center at Emory, and the researchers are collaborating with them to look at how genetic variations play a role in reciprocal social behavior. I'm not saying stem cells are better or worse than monkeys, but it's good that different researchers are using their expertise to focus on different things. Monkeys can behave more like humans than stem cells, although you can't manipulate their neurobiology as much. It's not a better or worse scenario, and luckily it doesn't have to be an either or. Researchers can do both. The Marcus Research Study Grant is also targeting the very early signs of autism, not in social attention, but in social engagement. This is another core symptom of autism deficits, and the group will be further building on how infants with and without autism and those who have a genetic liability for autism without a diagnosis attend to social stimuli. Remember, infant SIBs have a much higher genetic liability to develop autism, but not all of them go on to develop autism. 
Those with a genetic liability for autism without a diagnosis may carry some resiliency towards behavioral symptoms, and this is another reason why infant sibling research is so important. At the Marcus Center, as I mentioned, they have a unique ability to reach different populations, and they'll be partnering to help pilot and disseminate a way to better help parents use the internet to help their kids with autism very early. It'll be tailored towards social engagement, and they'll look at the comparison across those without autism, those with autism, and those with a genetic liability, but without autism. Kids with that genetic liability still have issues, and many of them need help and services. The other thing is, since they're using the internet, I love the fact that this is going to be used to help families rather than to facilitate bad behavior. Before leaving childhood intervention, finally, Amy Weatherby in Florida, who developed the Autism Navigator, will further be developing it to work on a new project with other sites around the U.S. This is a network grant to test a two-part intervention designed to empower parents of children with autism. The researchers will offer parents something called problem-solving education. It's a six-session intervention to help them access services their children need and to adapt to caring for a child with special needs. Parents will also receive training in early social intervention, which teaches them to support their children's communication and social skills in everyday routines, activities, and settings. There's been early research so far on the effectiveness of this intervention, early social interaction, but it's been challenging to get it out there, and this will test a way to get it into the hands of more people that can use it. So there's more research on sex differences too, which is great. In the last round of ACEs, Kevin Pelfrey, who's now at George Washington University, received funding to look at adolescent girls with autism. He looked at different interventions, he looked at their brains, and now he's continuing to work with them by examining transition-related issues. Again, the girls in his previous studies are now getting older. In addition to great imaging science and following them longer, which is of course important, he's going to continue interventions to see which ones work in girls and if they work differently in boys versus girls, and how they impact the real world lives of these girls and now women with autism. How are they helping? Are they helping or are they not helping? What do they need more help with? And remember, because they're older, they'll include things like adult relationships, getting a job and navigating the world. There's many ways that girls with autism are different than boys. One to add to the list is head size. By about age three, about 15% of boys have a large head size, but at the same time, only 3% of girls have this large head size. There exists great information on both boys and girls with and without large heads from a previous study called the Autism Phenome Project. And this project has great relationships with families. So David Amaral and Christine Nordahl at UC Davis have won a center grant to follow these families up and look at them as they get older. What are their symptoms? What are their behavioral characteristics? What about genetics? Are there different genetics in those with and without large head sizes? And does that point to a more effective treatment? Along these lines, they're going to look at different pharmacological interventions in older children and adolescents based on their head size. So now moving on to adolescents and adults, although I did mention the Kevin Pelfrey study already. Sorry, it's really hard for me to make these decisions about how to categorize and organize them, given that every grant touches on multiple issues. It's not in a duplicative way, but putting them in artificial categories doesn't always necessarily do them justice. One of the issues that's been plaguing families with autism is their comorbidities to other disorders and issues. 
One with a high prevalence in people with autism is ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. An estimated 40 to 60% of people with autism have ADHD, which encompasses such symptoms as difficulty paying attention, problems controlling behavior, and hyperactivity. In another center grant, co-investigators Geraldine Dawson and Scott Collins, both at Duke University, are working together to learn how ADHD may influence the diagnosis and treatment of autism, and they plan to observe children who have autism alone, autism and ADHD, and ADHD alone to compare them to typically developing children. They will also test whether a stimulant medication that's been previously used to treat ADHD will help children with autism and ADHD. We don't assume that ADHD medication will help people with autism, but frankly, we don't know. This will better help determine that. Likewise, Susan Buchheimer is going to break down the different types of autism by focusing not on head size, but sensory motor issues in people with autism. Sensory motor issues are how people with autism process information from their senses. It's another issue in people with autism. Almost everyone with autism has some sort of sensory issue, but there are different types of sensory issues. Can these different types predict outcome? And how does this relate to brain function so that medications can be tested? Another thing they're focusing on is social motivation, the need to interact with others and be accepted. And social communication, the ability to use language and gestures for interactions with others. These are all part of the core symptoms of social deficits in autism. They're important to social function, but different than social engagement or social attention, which I mentioned earlier, this group is going to look at different medications with autism to see if they can improve social functioning with behavioral interventions. The final grant I want to mention, and it's last but not least, it's going to directly address the issue of whether or not screening for autism improve long-term outcomes. The results of this study could impact whether or not pediatricians continue to support universal screening for ASD. While adults with autism typically and traditionally don't necessarily see the importance of early detection of autism, my friend and self-advocate Dina Gassner pointed out that early detection and diagnosis of autism allows people with autism to be better self-advocates, to understand what their diagnosis means, where they need help, what they're good at, and how to get services they need as early as possible without equivocation on an autism diagnosis. This is good for everyone, but of course there are concerns about whether or not screening instruments are just overburdening an already taxed child health system and whether or not early screening really benefits those with an autism diagnosis. We need evidence to support this policy. Drexel University in Philadelphia will conduct a randomized control trial of the 8,000 toddlers to determine if screening lowers the average age of diagnosis leads to earlier interventions, and improves outcomes. Participating children from network clinics either will be evaluated at 18 months of age or be a part of a group who will receive standard pediatric care. All children not screened at 18 months will be screened at 48 months, so it's not like they're not getting any screening. And all children who are diagnosed with autism will receive one year of behavioral therapy. This design was considered controversial a few years ago, so it's good that it's being examined to address this issue once and for all from a scientific perspective. You know, I have to say that I like all of these grants. I appreciate they all have an intervention component. And while they're all complementary, they're really not duplicative. The goal of research, after all, is to help people affected by autism. And this means people at all ages and all genders. 
Again, this is a huge chunk of your taxpayer money at work for autism research. So I hope this has been helpful in understanding where that money is going. Talk to you soon.